Coming up this hour, we're going to continue talking about the coronavirus, what is going on in the lives of individuals, and what does it mean for the church? You're listening to The Common Good. everybody happy thursday and welcome to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life alongside ian simpkins my name is brian Fromm. we're really glad to have you joining us today <laughs> i feel like a broken record we keep saying it but things are just different they are just crazy uh all of us hopefully social distancing and not just that but just staying in as much as humanly possible and uh, yeah, Ian, I'm wondering, how's that going for you? I feel like we got to check in every day of what it's like in your home. What parts of it are you enjoying? What's been kind of odd for you? How's it going? I mean, we, we've had uh, more dance parties per day than I can remember. I've gotten real acquainted with some, some deep cuts, some underground dance stuff that uh, my, my boys are really weirdly into. I don't know, this is normal <laughs> for a one and two-year-old, but like, the moment they hear like a note of music, they both start dancing. It's is that right? Um, it's amazing. And I mean, Red's only one, so it is more like propped up on his knees, just violently bouncing up and down. But it, it is. I'm sure to anyone like watching, uh, if they're like walking or driving past the house, we look insane. But um, amidst all the chaos and all the all the cabin fever, we're we're trying to have as much fun as we can. Yep. So I told you uh, yesterday that the night before I had shown my kids Rocky one. Oh yeah. Uh, right. Only one of my children wanted to keep going. So me and my son went down to the basement last night and we indulged in some Rocky two. And what's the verdict? Oh, he loved, man. He's hooked. <laughs> he's hooked to the point that tonight will be Rocky three. <laughs> Dad of the year. Rocky three. I'm like, I was trying to explain to him Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. And I realized he has no, real because that's who's in rocky three and he has no real frame of reference he's like mr t i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> oh man well he's, he's about to get an education he is he is so then next night we'll have rocky and the russian so we'll, we got good times ahead of us <laughs> i don't think it's called rocky and the russian brian that's rocky four everybody knows rocky four is rocky and ivan drago and uh yeah no i would say we're making the best of it i could really use it not to be raining i think that will make a huge difference yeah, no kidding. Uh, but once I, you can kind of feel it settling in. And, and with that said, you know, I thought we would just cover some of the most up-to-date news. I, I feel like I don't even know the most up-to-date news, but I was reading overnight that, uh, that there's some bad news and there's some good news. And I think we have to be really careful with how we juggle these. Uh, like on the good side, apparently some of the countries that were ahead of us, China and other places, are seeing no new cases of the coronavirus or enough of a decrease that they're closing hospitals, that their makeshift hospitals are getting closed. Yeah. They're starting to kind of open. I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay. That, that gave me a little bit of hope as I heard about China and South Korea and some other places. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Donald Trump, President Trump also is calling for an immediate economic relief mm -hmm. to support families amid the coronavirus outbreak, which again uh, I don't know the details of it. I've heard rumors about us getting checks in the mail. Uh, but again, oh, you, didn't, that, you didn't get yours yet? No. <laughs> I'm, oh, I must I, have gotten yours. I'll send it I, over. I'm just asking for a direct deposit. But you know, oh. <laughs> I, heard I, in I, there, I wrote the White House and said, just Venmo me. <laughs> just Venmo me. <laughs> just straight from them. Uh, <laughs> and so that, you know, that makes me happy because we talked about yesterday uh, the untold 
uh, economic hardship. And no one's claiming that a thousand dollar check or, or a thousand dollar check twice is going to save everybody from economic hardship. But uh, hopefully it will do a little bit. It will yeah. do a little bit. And then to see things online, I don't know how much you've seen, but you even talked about it yesterday about people trying to shop local and help out the small businesses in town. I see lots of Facebook posts of people getting takeout from various local restaurants. Uh, that feels like there, there's not only we, you and I've talked a lot about the community of the church and what does that look like in these days? Yeah. But it is kind of nice. I know in my town of Downers Grove, there, there does seem like there is a, uh, a, a communal, uh, we're all in this together feel for the people who live in the town. And that's also been kind of nice to see. Yeah. Another thought I had, I actually saw a couple of people post something along these lines. You know, a lot of people are using, uh, Instacart to get their, their, uh, groceries and stuff sent to them, which of course is taking much, much longer than it, yes. than it normally would. But I, I imagine the, the people that are out doing those delivery services probably also have families that have mm. needs and, you know, they're working in an environment at a time that like everyone else is trying to, to not be out in public, you know, in a lot of ways kind of putting themselves at risk. What if, like when you, the next time you order on Instacart, when you got your message from your shopper, what if you asked them, like, hey, is there anything that, like your family is particularly in need of right now? Oh, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. Just and add it to your cart. Like you can message them if they, you know, like, yeah, we, we really could use some cereal or some toilet paper or whatever it is. Tell them to add that to your cart and that just as an act of like gratitude and generosity that you'll cover an item for them or something like that. I just think that's, I think that could be a really cool idea for us to like love our neighbor and love our communities in a, in a pretty unique way and in a pretty unique time. I I think that might be, that might be one way to go about it. Yeah. And I, uh, that's a really good call. I know on church, on the church end, uh, it's been fun to be on Facebook and places to see various churches putting up. There seems like a lot of creativity going on yeah. <laughs> because of the inability to be together. I saw you post a video today. Last night, we had uh, once a month, we try to do a worship and prayer night on a Wednesday night, and it was would have been last night. Uh, and so Scott and I just kind of went on Facebook Live, and, and we played so, he played some songs, and I actually read the prayer from Christianity Today that you and I read on the show yesterday. Hmm. Uh, and also prayed for people online. Like it was just kind of like, okay, let's make the best of this. Right. Uh, and it seems like your church is doing some stuff of kind of uh, is it a daily devotional? You guys trying to connect with your people every day? Yeah. So we uh, reframed the daily Bible reading plan that we, we already had, but um, I, I created like a three week thing uh, more kind of emphasizing what do we do with fear and worry and anxiety in the midst of chaos and how do we kind of, more fully depend and lean on the power and presence of Jesus. So uh, there's a Bible reading plan that gets sent out. And then every morning at 8 a.m., a different community staff person is going to post a short video devotional. And then every evening at 8 p.m., um, we're going to have an online like worship and music experience every night, Monday through Friday, except Wednesdays. We're leaving that open for our, our student community. Um, but that'll be uh, every day, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Uh, something in particular that our, our community can engage with. And anyone can. They don't have to be from our church right. at all to, you know, to, to benefit from those things. That's actually what we've seen by just putting stuff on Facebook Live is it's interesting the people uh, who aren't a part of our church on a normal basis who, are, who have connected to it. I, I think there is some sort of opportunity here from churches that, that, although somebody I thought made a really interesting point on Twitter, they said, 
for anyone who's saying this is going to push the church online, he said, the truth is the opposite, that we all just are realizing now how much the church is a physical embodiment, that we want to be together. Um, and I think that person's right. For all the good stuff being done, I do think we're all counting down the day to when we can all gather together. Can you imagine? On Sunday morning or in small groups or whatever else it might be. Yeah. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Like the first Sunday back when we can Such all a celebration. Like hug each other and go. I mean, I feel like restaurants are going to be booming. People are going to be hugging. Like it's going to be. I want to kind of keep the vision of what that will be like out in front because yes. I think in the midst of everything right now, it's it's hard to it's hard to keep that hope alive for a lot of people. No doubt, those people out there who like hate hugging, uh, you're going to hate when when this is over. <laughs> I yeah. think for a yeah, couple right, of weeks. Right. <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of our update as to where we're at. We're all doing this together. We're praying that you're doing well, uh, even making the best of what's going on. It's been fun to see families posting things. Uh, and uh, again, we hope that these two hours that we're with you here on The Common Good uh, are a good respite for you. Well, coming up next, we're going to discuss an article out of Christianity Today uh, about Christians helping flatten the curve of the coronavirus. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, all welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, come with some of the particulars. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. I actually had a buddy of mine uh, in, uh, send me a text earlier because he got a notification that he is, quote, one of our top fans on Facebook. <laughs> I, I don't know what that actually means i don't either but i gave him a good congratulations <laughs> do we, do we have to send him a prize or something that's what i said i was gonna be like oh you should get a mug or something <laughs> i mean we, we definitely can't give it to him in person right nope. now Let's... we'll put it on layaway but yeah so you could <laughs> if you want to get that you could be on facebook with us at the common good radio show find us on twitter at common good talk uh you can find us online at 1160hope.com uh and uh, as always Get on our podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, where is it they can get our podcast? I'm not remembering. It's it's literally anywhere. Wherever you, it'd be hard to miss, to be honest. Like, you have yeah. to work actively not to find our podcast. That's how accessible it is. The other day I was walking down the stairs at my house and I tripped and I'm like, oh, there's our podcast again. I tripped right over it. <laughs> Uh, our podcasts are the new Legos left on the floor. That's what they yes, are. Yes, they hurt your feet to stand on. It's everywhere, but they hurt to stand on, right? <laughs> That's really funny. So go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, that does help us. We are grateful for those of you who do. Well, Christianity Today uh, wrote an article entitled this, Christians, let's flatten the curve but remain a, quote, religion for the sick. Physicians reflect theologically on three unique Christian contributions to COVID-19 preparations. What's kind of the background of this story here? Yeah, I want to first applaud the people that wrote this because I think that's that's a real finger on the pulse conversation that um, I feel like I've gotten a number of questions kind of around this idea. How, how can we be responsible, but also aren't we supposed to really be a people that come alongside those who are most vulnerable, those who are most at risk? And that is a weird tension point for a lot of people. Like what at what level is it irresponsible? I, I just love how the article starts. It says, over the past week, the world has turned its full attention to the protein thorn crown of COVID-19. Mm. It is rare to experience such a widespread global uh, unease in which we all find ourselves dwelling in the very same thing. In a way, the noise of modern life has been ousted by what C.S. Lewis called God's megaphone, mm. which is pain. 
Yeah. Patients are dying. People are scared. And we find ourselves stuck between the flippantly arrogant and the fearfully paranoid. Following Saturday's episode of the Italian COVID-19 Experience podcast in which American and Australian pediatric in- uh, intensivists, is that what it is? Yep. Intensivists spoke candidly with intensive care specialists in the ICU of Italy. Uh, each of our institutions are preparing us for the next few weeks with a seriousness that is unique, even for those of us in medicine familiar with suffering, triage, and uncertainty. It's okay to be fearful. We are too. However, as Christians working inside and outside the healthcare space, this is a moment where our response might distinguish us as a people who practice what once was called by early pagans a religion for the sick. To that end, we want to share some of our experiences of the COVID-19 pandemic as resident physicians and trainees and as fellows of the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Fellowship at Duke Divinity School, which wow. brings together medical trainees, uh, trainees, the theologians and pastors to think theologically at the front lines of healthcare in order to highlight the unique Christian contributions of repentance, hospitality, and lament to our preparations for the new coronavirus. So Uh, that, that is a setup to me is such a fascinating conversation. It is really good. Before we get into these three, could you real quickly, because you've always done a good job with this, when it says that the pagans in the early church called it a uh, religion of the sick or whatever that phrase was, what, did the, what does that mean? How, what is that history there? Yeah, there's, uh, let me see if I can remember. There was a, a satirist named Lucian who uh, wrote a bunch of comments about, I mean, he wasn't a fan of, you know, these Christians, these followers of the way, uh, even like em- Emperor Julian, I think they would, there's like uh, good historical documentation about their kind of complaining even about yeah. this Christian community. And they would say things like, man, their success lies in not only how they care for their own poor and sick, but how they care for our poor and sick as well. Like well before the church had, you know, buildings and stages and websites and lights and Facebook, it had this incredible generosity and this like uh, this completely unquenchable drive yeah. to care for the least of these. And it's just interesting that, you know, in a lot of ways, the people that weren't for these Christians were writing down complaints to each other about what are we supposed to, how do we distinguish, how do we extinguish that? Like they just keep caring for everybody. We can't stop them. Uh, I just thought, I think that's a, that's a really powerful apologetic. Absolutely. So these are three uh, things that they bring up. The first one, let me do number one, repentance among idolatry of health. Health is good in our society, they write, and for good reason. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of God's promise to bring health and heal wounds. Uh, The apostle John prayed for health of his readers. While health is a good to be pursued and maintained, we sense uh, we've turned a, quote, good into a God. Hmm. Indeed, while the coronavirus is novel, it does not represent a new fear. It merely reveals a quiet, well-nourished idolatry toward the health of our bodies and our trust in the ability of our medical institutions to save us. The West is feeling one of its greatest idols shiver. Hmm. Orthodox theologian Jean-Claude Larche goes so far as to argue that clinicians constitute a new priestly class of this idol uh, to which, in which doctors and other healthcare workers minister a new salvation of health to devoted worshipers. Uh, just for the sake of time, I'll stop there. Uh, well, and they close it this way. Health is a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. Hmm. It is not something that we can master through biohacking or guarantee through new vaccines, even as it is a gift and a duty to seek 
such medicine. Our comfort lies in the fact that even if we are stricken with the coronavirus and die, our lives are known and sealed in Christ. So much of that is so well written right there. Yeah, no kidding. The second one they have listed is hospitality among social distancing. Historian Gary Ferngren? That's what it looks like. Ferngren? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Points out in medicine and healthcare in early Christianity that the uh, the only care for the sick during a smallpox-like epidemic in 312 AD was provided by Christians. That's kind of what I was saying earlier. Yep. The church even hired grave diggers to bury those who died in the streets. Something we have quickly forgotten in the age of antivirals and personal productive gear is the sheer fear that the possibility of sickness like this would instill in others. If you interacted with someone uh, with the plague in 1350 or the Spanish flu in 1918, there was a real possibility you would get it and die. The prayer, and if I die before I wake, I beg the Lord my soul to take, was a real plea, not a nighttime trope. The new coronavirus has brought a bit of uh, that fear back into our daily lives. It is a fear that manifests in the shelves of swept, the shelves that are swept clean of masks and cleaning supplies. But Christians are a people for whom hospitality toward the minority and the potentially infected is a central virtue, one that undergirds Christian tradition and the practice of modern medicine, whether we know it or not. I think... So that good. is so convicting, but so spot on. Yep. And the last one is lament among anxiety. Hmm. While the world laments the cancellation of sport events or the halting of the economy, all appropriate things to be dispirited about, Christianity recognizes that both the new coronavirus and our response to it through social distancing makes the church something less than its full self. Hmm. If social distancing is something we must do, we shouldn't do it without psalms of lament. And lament will become increasingly important in the coming weeks. Medical workers in Italy have greatly limited family interactions with the sick in the ICU. Most families cannot view the bodies of their loved ones after death. And we're learning from our Italian uh, intensivist colleagues, we may find ourselves unable to do what is best for our patients. It is uncanny that we're in the season of Lent. Perhaps we should look to Easter Sunday with newfound hope, uh, not only of open tombs, but of reopened cathedrals. Holy Week in the time of COVID-19, in which we remember the suffering of the king on his way to Golgotha, will surely take on new meaning. Folks, let me encourage you. There's, uh, we had to skip over some of these. This is such a well-written article that we'd encourage you to go check it out on our Facebook page. Yeah, let me just read what it ends with, because I think this is so well go said. Right Yep. It says, of course, we know that Jesus wore a different crown, one that calls us to worship not out of anxiety or control, but out of a love that drives out all fear. That crown doesn't make this coronavirus moment any less serious. However, it does tell us where to cast our anxieties, who to comfort, and which thorned crown to remember. I, that is, I, I'm going to reread this again later yes. today because this is, this is such a timely read. Absolutely. Check it out at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, out of Pathios, they ask this question, can faith help us get through the coronavirus? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really happy to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. As we often say, it helps us and uh, helps other people find the podcast. And so we'd be grateful if you did that. Uh, at patheos.com, uh, they have posted this article a couple days ago. Can faith help us get through the coronavirus? I think that's a question a lot of us are asking people of faith, but people also not of faith. 
And uh, asking this question written by Tom Rapsis, can faith help us get through the coronavirus? Why don't you get us started on this article? Yeah, he starts, he says, uh, faith is a curious thing, which I would totally agree. It may be that you either have the faith gene within you or you don't. The author, David Foster Wallace, once gave a now fabled commencement speech titled This is Water. I've actually mentioned that speech before. You have. I listened to it. Uh, like once a year, just as a, just as a discipline. Yeah. As part of that speech, Foster Wallace told the tale of two men chatting in a bar and their different takes on the role that God plays in their lives. I've paraphrased the story below. So I'm going to read the paraphrase yeah. of the story because I think it's really good. Um, so there are these two guys sitting together in a bar in the remote Alaskan wilderness while they're old friends. They have very different ideas on God. One is a priest and the other is an atheist. They begin arguing about the existence of God. The atheist says, Look, it's not like I haven't given God a chance. I even tried the prayer thing. It didn't work. The priest asked with some incredulity. I can't even say that word. <laughs> did you really pray? When did this happen? Just last month replies the atheist. I got caught away from the camp in a terrible blizzard. I was totally lost and couldn't see a thing. It was 50 below, and so I prayed. I fell to my knees in the snow and cried out, Oh, God, if there is a God, I'm lost in this blizzard, and I'm going to die if you don't help me. The priest looks at the atheist with a puzzled expression and exclaims, well, then you must believe in God now. After all, here you are alive. The atheist rolls his eyes and says, no way. That's not how it happened. A couple of Eskimos came wandering by and they showed me the way back to camp. <laughs> what the writer of the article says, he says the same story, two different perspectives. The priest seeing this as a case of the divine intervention, the atheist viewing it as pure happenstance. It's not too hard to see how these same people would view the current coronavirus crisis. One praying for a speedy ending to it all with the least possible human suffering. The other hoping for the best, but not knowing what to expect. Is one point of view rational and the other misguided? Or is it possible that both men could be right? That's possible. Consider the novel idea at God's existence may be dependent on our beliefs and that if you're a non-believer, God does not exist. But if you are, this insight that God exists for those who believe comes from John Templeton, the businessman turned philosopher. Templeton believed that spirituality was a personal issue based on the unique divine experience of the individual believer. And I'm curious, I'll stop right there, what you think so far of this premise, even your perspective uh, uniquely as a pastor who I imagine has maybe had conversations like this. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I struggle with the um, putting the burden of faith more upon us as opposed to God being, <laughs> being God, you know what I mean? Um, I might not be saying that well, but this kind of, um, here, how did he say, I know you just read it, but, uh, consider the novel idea that God's existence may be dependent on our beliefs and that you're if a non-believer, God does not exist. But if you are, I, I have a struggle with that because, you know, obviously I believe God exists outside of our, uh, beliefs, but what do you think about that, that, um, kind of philosophy? I, I think that your response is spot on. I am, uh, amazed at how many times, like we've even on the show a couple of times, made jokes even about how sometimes like if someone finds a spot, you know, close to the store, they say that, you know, they're hashtag blessed God opened that <laughs> yeah. spot for him. And you know, it's easy to kind of roll your eyes at that, but I, I do wonder uh, what like a non-believing world thinks right now about how they're seeing the church respond. Like that is a question that I think is really fascinating because as you've mentioned um, and we've even mentioned off air a little bit, churches are not even unified in how we're responding theologically to what's going on. That's right. Some people are saying, yeah, this, God brought this on. He's initiating the end times. 
Other people are still convinced it's some kind of hoax. You know, the vast majority of us are probably somewhere in between. But it's interesting even seeing, you know, the the church take different approaches to something that is happening globally. Uh, I'd be really curious what you think, um, like an atheist watcher is observing of the church right now. Yeah, that's a great question. I would hope they're not only observing the people who get most of the press. <laughs> yeah, so right, right. We've talked about that before. I would hope um, that if they even care, like I would guess there's probably a lot of atheists who are like not even what, you know observing what the church is doing, but I would hope that what they're observing is an increase in generosity and a wrestling with how do we care for our neighbor. You know, I'd hope that they see the church as altogether different from the people they see you know, hoarding toilet paper or, or what seeming to not care about other people. Um, I, I don't know where they're getting that message one way or the other, but I hope that at the end of this, the church comes out of it with that reputation. I'm hopeful at least for that. Yeah, I am. I am hopeful too. And I think it's been interesting even seeing some of the humility from a lot of church leaders who, you know, honestly, maybe haven't had to course correct yep. in a long time. I mean, none of us have had to course correct at this level. But my hope isn't just that going forward, the church is really strategic and we like make right situation. I hope it also really leads to like unprecedented humility and falling on our hands and knees before God and recognizing that, man, I'm not nearly as in control as I sometimes like to believe I am. And yeah, to me, that would, that would be a real positive, um, uh, that'd be a real positive residual effect of all of this, I think. Yeah. And another positive within the church that I hope comes out of this is our ability um, to acknowledge some some gray area and complexities within our faith, right? Like yeah. uh, anyone who can just be like, oh, I completely understand global pandemic and where does God play into this and how to is fooling themselves, right? Like it doesn't rock our faith, but it does ask questions. You were talking about it the other day about like, you know, we're, we're, how, how do we explain God's sovereignty in the middle of this? Well, that's got to cause us as, as humans uh, to not, not so much question God's existence, but to go, yeah, how does that play out? And I hope churches feel okay with that. Like, I think that's one thing that hmm. you and I do okay on this show is to go, hey, we don't have everything figured out. Like, faith is, is, can be messy, and it causes us to wrestle and, and I think one of the church's bad reputations sometimes is, oh, everything's wrapped up in a bow. Everything always works out for people, everything this. And, and to be put something like this on our doorstep, uh, not just globally, but, but domestically, yeah. hopefully causes us to go, yeah, you know what? I believe in Jesus. I believe, I believe wholeheartedly, uh, but, but I don't have all the answers and I'm going to wrestle with people, but we're right. going to keep praying. And I, I hope people allow for that sort of uncertainty as well. Well, and the thing that I find so interesting about this article, because he's, he's really asking questions about faith, and he began the article asking, you know, is it something that we're just born with? And I do think, and this might be a little controversial, uh, I think there is such a thing as a spiritual gift of faith. There are certain people that just seem to have an easier job believing than the rest of us. Like, I'm just a natural skeptic. I'm all, that's, that's kind of just in my brain. Some people just have this beautiful gift of like, I just believe, I trust. That's right. I also think it's something that's cultivated. I think practices like prayer and meditation and scripture reading and singing and worship. I think those things, I think it grows our faith. You know, one of the passages yeah. that often gets tossed around is the faith of a mustard seed, you know, yep. usually the application is something like, yeah, even small faith can do big things. 
I don't actually think that's what that passage is about. Did you know that Jewish law actually forbade the planting of a mustard seed in Jewish no. gardens? The no, reason was because mustard, mustard seed plants just take over. Like it, it completely disrupts like the nice, neat, orderly boxes and patterns. And I think in a lot of ways, that's some, that's some of what faith does. Faith disrupts some of our like predictable, nice, neat, tidy categories. And I think, man, we have an opportunity while all of our categories are sort of upturned to, to actually lean more fully in our faith in God. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a really unique opportunity that we have right now. Amen. Amen to that. Well, we'd love to see what you think about that article. Pathios, they regularly pl- uh, put out articles that will, that will test you, that will cause you to wrestle. And this one will certainly do that. Can faith help us through the coronavirus? Check that out on our Facebook page. Well, coming up next, 10 positive updates on COVID-19 outbreak. We're not trying to paint with a... <laughs> paint everything over and say everything's good, but there are some positive things even amidst all of the fear that we want to highlight next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Thursday. And uh, I almost said Thursday's your favorite day. It's your date night. But I guess we're all just in our houses with our spouses and kids now. <laughs> Ooh, houses with our spouses. That is, that's got, some, a, that should be on a t-shirt. That's a Dr. Seuss book right there. <laughs> yeah, or the Dr. Seuss book, right. <laughs> uh, we want to talk about just some good news. You know, so much feels uh, just unsettled and even dark at times that there are some good news things happening around the COVID-19 uh, outbreak here. But before we do that, uh, Ian's got some stuff to share about Thrivent. Yeah. Speaking of good news, there you go. Know, Thrive Financial is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit company, which is pretty rare. Not a lot of not-for-profit companies make the Fortune 500 list. That says something for sure. Yep. Uh, I've been a Thrive member for a long time. I just met with my rep via Zoom yesterday or the day before. It was awesome. Super, super grateful for them. Uh, they've been serving people for like over a century. So, the reason I'm bringing all this up is that my guess is that a lot of people are shifting and they're making adjustments. Maybe you're looking for a career change. Um, Thrivent might be a really good fit for you. If you ever want to be your own boss or you have an entrepreneurial drive or you like helping people with their finances or just like helping people in general, uh, there might be a really great opportunity for you. You can go to thrivent.com slash careers. That's thrivent.com slash careers. Or you can just call 630-598-2128, 630-598-2128, and just tell them Ian from the Common Good sent you. So as this article starts, this is from goodnewsnetwork.org. Uh, there's just been a lot of, uh, for good reason, a lot of, they use the phrase nerve-wracking headlines as you're on your social media or whatever. And so they said, let us give you some of uh, some positive headlines amidst all that's going on. So it's a list of 10. Uh, it's, it's from a day or two ago. And so there's been even some more since then. You and I were talking off air uh, that like um, in China, where it all started in the Wuhan province, uh, they've begun closing down some of their makeshift hospitals, I read today, because uh, they either have no new cases or it's severely down the number of cases. So that is encouraging. Uh, they're opening up a basketball league back in South Korea because things have kind of settled out. These are places that were in front of us uh, where you kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, let us make it through this list. 
Oh, you know what's not on this list, but I'm very excited for you. Ready for this one? I am ready. Yeah. Uh, Florida starting to close beaches today. Oh, good for Florida. If I see another thing with a spring, a 22 year old spring breaker on Twitter, <laughs> those have been crazy. Would that be a um, a grind? Grinds my gears. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. You are, right, the, you are the get off my lawn guy, aren't you? Oh my gosh. Where they're like, hey, you know, COVID-19 won't stop me from partying. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, anyway. Number one, U.S. researchers deliver first COVID-19 vaccine to volunteers in, experiment, in experimental test program. Scientists uh, at a Washington Research Institute in Seattle delivered the first rounds of a potential coronavirus vaccine to several dozen optimistic volunteers Uh, earlier this week. That's good news. Hopefully we could be praying and watching for the news that that is, uh, that that is effective. Which by the way, did we mention where this is from? This is from uh, goodnewsnetwork.org. Yep. Y'all just need to head over to that website in general. I'm looking at some of the other headlines right now from just today. Boy, it is a breath of fresh air. (laughs) It really is. Goodnewsnetwork.org. Okay. Number two, distilleries across the United States are making their own hand sanitizers to give away for free. Mm. National shortages of hand sanitizers, alcohol distilleries in Atlanta, Portland, Georgia, and North Carolina have begun using their facilities to make their own sanitation products, and they're giving them away for free. That's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, Number three. Air pollution plummets in cities with high rates of quarantine. Satellite readings of air pollution levels over China and Italy show that the regions hit hardest by the COVID-19 have also caused air pollution levels to decline dramatically. Some reports estimate that China's quarantine has saved more than 100 million metric tons of carbon dioxide emissions from entering the atmosphere, which is about the equivalent of what Chile produces in a year. Wow. Not not only have similar effects been reported across Italy, the canals and waterways of Venice are reportedly cleaner than ever, with the water shining crystal clear in the absence of diesel-powered boats and gondoliers. I was telling you about that. There are pictures all over Twitter. Not only have it cleared up uh, these canals and waterways in Venice, but for the first time in who knows how long, uh, dolphins came back into them because they're clean and they're clear because there have been no boats on them at all. It's really fascinating to see the way kind of nature works there. What was that like uh, anti-acne product from when we were in high school? Their slogan was clean and clear and under control. I feel like that could apply to this story. That's, there you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number four. How many are on this list? Ten? Ten. We're there's good. No, there's no way we're getting through all these. Oh, um, uh, we are. We got this. All right. John Hopkins researcher says that antibodies from recovered COVID patients could help protect people at risk. The vaccine being tested in Seattle isn't only uh, isn't the only potential treatment for the disease. An immun- immunologist. Boy, I am having a hard time reading today. <laughs> immunologist. Yeah, that's. I added a syllable that didn't you need did. to be there. Uh, is reviving a century-old blood-derived treatment for use in the United States in hopes of slowing the spread of the disease. The technique uses antibodies from the blood plasmas or serum of people who have recovered from COVID-19 infections to boost the immunity of newly infected patients and those at risk of contracting the disease. Hmm. Number five, South Korean outbreak finally abating as recoveries outnumber new infections for three days in a row. Wow. According to Reuters, South Korea recorded more COVID-19 recovery cases on March the 6th than new infections for the first time since the uh, nation experienced the largest Asian outbreak outside of China. Since the novel coronavirus outbreak was first reported in South Korea back in January, 
the nation reached a peak of 909 new infections on February 29th. Now, however, Reuters reports that the declining rate of infection has continued to fall with less than 100 new cases reported for several days in a row. Man, oh man. Number six, what's the name of the article? 10 good things or 10 positive updates on yep. COVID-19. Uh, China celebrates several milestones of recovery after temporary hospitals close and parks reopen. You were already talking about this one. That's right. I don't even need to read it, but that is a really, really good sign. Even, I mean, this article is a couple days old, but the fact that we're seeing that happen more and more is super encouraging. Yep. That's awesome. Number seven, uh, Australian researchers testing two drugs as potential quote cures for the virus. At the University of Queensland Center for Clinical Research, scientists have found that two different medications, both of which are registered and available in Australia, have completely wiped out traces of the disease in test tubes. Not only that, the drugs were given to some of the nation's first COVID-19 patients, which resulted in disappearance of the virus and complete recovery from the infection. The university is now looking to conduct nationwide trial with the drugs to evaluate the efficacy and tolerance of each drug administered separately and together. Oh, my goodness. All right. So we only have like a minute or so left. Let me just read the last three real quick. Uh, Number eight, Uber Eats is supporting the North American restaurant industry by waiving delivery fees for 100,000 restaurants. That's That's awesome. Amazing. Number nine, Dutch and Canadian researchers are reporting additional breakthrough research on treating the virus. There's a nice photo of them there. And then uh, number 10, here are a bunch of other ways that people and businesses are supporting each other throughout the U.S. outbreak. And then it's just like a whole other article and a whole other set of lists about yes. people doing good things. I wish I had spent more time on this website earlier I like this in the website. week. It yes. Great. Yeah. And of course, some of you might be out there being like, oh, what are we, why aren't we talking about reality? No, this is reality as well. And we want yeah. to provide good news, even in the midst of all the anxiety. Sometimes, uh, what was that Acuff, uh, John Acuff tweet we looked at yesterday where sometimes you just need a break. You need yeah, a break right. from the bad news, and hopefully this is a break. Uh, we'll put this up on our Facebook page, but you can go to goodnewsnetwork.org. That's goodnewsnetwork.org. Coming up next, we're going to keep attacking this coronavirus story from many different angles. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible— but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour on The Common Good, we're going to talk about uh, who's able to get t- uh, coronavirus tests and who's not. We're going to listen to some of a podcast, and then we're going to talk about quarantine shaming. All of that's coming up on The Common Good. Hey, 
everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us uh, on yet another day of most of us just sitting at home, being at home. But we're glad to be here to talk with you over the radio or the podcast, whatever it is, however it is you consume uh, our show. We're always glad to have people with us. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we are very happy for those of you uh, who do that. As we've been saying, we've been talking about the coronavirus from many different angles, from individual, from nation, from the church. Uh, And uh, I want to jump into one of the more... uh, serious topics that's been going around or one of the more ones that's been confusing people. Uh, but before we do that, a happy story. You put this on our Facebook page. So why don't you tell us about something that Chick-fil-A is doing in the midst of the coronavirus? So Chick-fil-A, which is, as we all know, God's sandwich. Jesus <laughs> chicken. Jesus yeah. chicken. Oh, is that the phrase? See, this is that's how out of, saved my house. <laughs> I'm out of the loop. I'm sorry. Uh, headline simply says Chick-fil-A delivers a thousand meals to Washington hospital impacted by coronavirus. It's a really feel good story. It says a Chick-fil-A in Washington state delivered a thousand meals last week to a local hospital that's been impacted. Chick-fil-A Cascade Park in Vancouver, Washington delivered the meals to Peaceful Health, Peaceful Health, Peace Health mm-hmm. Southwest Medical Center, which is about four miles away. We are so grateful to owner John Dabrowski and his team at Chick-fil-A Cascade Park in Vancouver for delivering and serving a thousand meals to our hardworking caregivers today, the hospital wrote on its Facebook page, your kindness in a tough time is appreciated more than you know. And then there's a bunch of photos and it goes on and on. You get the gist. Either way, That's it's, good like, story. It's, a re- it's a really good, feel-good story of you know companies doing what they can. I have a buddy that uh, manages one here in Aurora and he made a post earlier this week about uh, some of the stuff that Chick-fil-A will be doing for people in need and it blew up. Like it went, it went mega viral. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I know there's uh, I live in Downers Grove here and there's a, uh, uh, there's a pizza place uh, that, uh, that rumor was, I believe this is true, delivered a bunch of pizzas. We have a hospital in town here, Good Samaritan Hospital in Downers Grove. And uh, they delivered a bunch of free pizzas for healthcare workers. And so uh, people doing what they can, it's what, it's how we ended last hour, right? People yeah. doing what they can, uh, even when it doesn't, you know, you could probably like, ah, does this make a difference? And if it makes a difference for one person, then it's, it's well worth it. So we want to highlight those stories, especially before talking about the one we're about to talk about. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so th- one of the controversies going around right now is that it seems while most people in our culture are not able currently to get tested or having to go to great lengths to get tested, and hopefully that's changing, right? Like that seems to be a big push to make that change, Uh, but that's been the case. Uh, You might have noticed that especially one of the ones in the headlines is a bunch of NBA teams have gotten their whole teams tested, Mm -hmm. Uh, and this has raised some questions. And so let me read from this article from NBC News. And uh, see what you think. President Donald Trump weighed in Wednesday on concerns that professional athletes and others among the well-connected are getting priority testing for the coronavirus. The president was asked about the issue at a news conference Wednesday, a day after the Brooklyn Nets announced that three of their players who showed no symptoms were among an unknown number of team members tested for the coronavirus. Four tested positive, including the three who were asymptomatic. 
Uh, how are non-symptomatic professional athletes getting tests while others are waiting in line and can't get them? NBC News, Peter Alexander asked the president, do the well-connected go to the front of the line? And the president answered, no, I wouldn't say so, but perhaps that's the story of life. That does happen on occasion. And I've noticed where people have been tested fairly quickly. The exchange came after New York's uh, mayor, Bill de Blasio, slammed the nets on Tuesday for testing players. He said, we wish them a speedy recovery, uh, but with all due respect, an entire NBA team should not get tested for COVID-19 while there are critically ill patients. Uh, the team disclosed that four players had it, and they imme- and they went on to say that they contracted with a private laboratory so as not to take tests away from people uh, who might need it. And so we'll stop there because this is not the only NBA team that's had it, but there's been some other things about some celebrities and others. Uh, and this is kind of an ugly story, but maybe not a surprising story. As you've heard more and more stories like this around testing, uh, what have been some of your thoughts? It, it feels like a, like a Kurt Vonnegut book at this point. Like it's, <laughs> you know, their explanation makes sense, but it feels like these kits are almost the new currency. Like it is sort of a, you know, we've talked about wealth disparity before on the show and yep. there's a thousand different theories and philosophies as to why it is the way that it is. Um, people much, much smarter than, than me have written, you know, libraries of books about it, but it's interesting to see in this cultural moment, the ways that people are responding and the accusations, uh, you're right. Like you said, this is just one of many stories kind of in the same vein. I think, I wonder if this isn't going to shed a light on some of the disparity in like a whole different way yeah. that in the months and years to come, isn't going to have some kind of impact. Now, maybe, maybe that's not true. Like, you know, Trump's response is actually, you know, pretty honest. I think like, yeah, sometimes that's the way it is. You know, these yeah. people have, millions of dollars and you don't. And sometimes they have access to stuff that the rest of us just don't have access to. I mean, when it comes to something this serious though, that, that is where it gets really heartbreaking for me because we're not just talking about, Oh, they got to go to a movie premiere earlier or yeah. they get to have fancier vacations and bigger houses. Like we, you know, we know that's the reality, but like as of Wednesday, there was about 59,000 tests for coronavirus that have been conducted, which, you know, compared to the what 320 million people living yeah. in the country like there that seems off and i think uh i think people have some justification in feeling irked by this yeah and uh it's not just the testing i watched something on one of the morning shows this morning uh that said the same thing is actually going on with ventilators that there are yeah, some right, right. people who are basically stockpiling their own ventilators or not stockpiling but getting one in case they need it while hospitals are going, we don't have ventilators. It feels a little bit, not to be over dramatic, although maybe I'm not being over dramatic on this. Uh, this is going to be the second time in two or three weeks that I have referenced the movie Titanic, which you said you've never seen. I still haven't. <laughs> uh, but how does the the actual Titanic or the movie Titanic as a representation of it? Uh, what was one of the amazing problems is that those wealthiest people were able to get in the boats. Uh, and even not even filled boats while the people at the lower decks uh, were locked in and they drowned. And it's a really dramatic part of the movie uh, and of the historical narrative. And that has a lit, not, not to be too, you know, uh, hopefully this gets rectified through more testing and more ventilators becoming available. 
but as you said, when the, when the history books get written on the coronavirus outbreak and how we uh, navigated it, I wonder if this, like you said, is going to be one of the chapters, not the first chapter, uh, but kind of the highlighting again of something, uh, the disparity between those who are in the uh, wealthier end and the celebrity end versus those of us who are just kind of your regular people and uh, what that kind of privilege afforded you even in the midst of a pandemic. Well, and the other thing that I also, I want to always be intentional about doing when having conversations like this, because it's easy to point a finger at the millionaires and billionaires. Yeah. But to also remember that I'm incredibly privileged to somebody else. Like the fact that, you know, in church ministry in particular, that we even have the capacity to work from home, that we have laptops and internet and Zoom and Skype and all of those things. Those are luxuries that most of the planet doesn't know anything about. Like they have no access to any of those things. And even in our own backyards, you know, people in the food service industry, the entertainment industry, artists who rely on gigs and gatherings, like I want to always be really careful, you know, to, to, yes, point a finger, you know, abuse of power, exploitation, all that stuff, especially from the mega celebrities, but also look at myself and say, what are some of the ways that at the very least I've not been grateful for what I have or what I have access to and to always be prayerfully thinking through, okay, how can I also be serving someone else then? Not just pointing a finger and someone else is doing something wrong, but also looking at my own life and say, all right, what are some ways faithfully that I can be the hands and feet of Jesus, that I can love yeah. my neighbor. And yeah. uh, that's always, for me, at least a little bit of a, of a, of a check to make sure that um, I'm, I'm asking the same questions of myself. Absolutely. That's always good to, to hold the mirror up. I was reading an article, you posted it, we didn't talk about it yet today, uh, about even in some of the third world nations where they don't have the ability to wash their hands because of clean water issues. That's all right, another right. deal. Yep. Um, so anyway, this is a story that I don't think is going away. It's, it's, uh, it's been talked about all over the place. Uh, you can weigh in on your thoughts on Facebook. Coming up next, we're going to do something we've never really done before. We're going to kind of hand our show over to a podcast for uh, a couple minutes. Uh, something interesting we would love for you to hear. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're uh, trying to help you uh, process uh, the, all that's going on with uh, the coronavirus outbreak, the pandemic going on around us, a lot of us in our homes uh, for most of the days here, uh, hoping to give you some things to think about, looking at it from many different angles. And uh, one of the ways we thought we could do that is to play a podcast that I think uh, you had turned us on to Ian uh, Ed Stetzer uh, interviewed somebody who we think could be really helpful. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, in general, people are doing a lot to maintain uh, up to date info on like the spread of the virus and what other countries are doing. A lot of that data is really important. We talked a little bit yesterday about ACUF saying, "Hey, there's a difference though between being informed and being obsessed." So I, I don't necessarily think that the issue is the information aspect, we all have access to the information. Um, and again, we can maybe debate whether or not all the information is equal, but the thing that I've, I wanted to spend some time kind of helping resource everybody with is how do we deal with this current reality of being in isolation? Like, I feel like yes. that's part of the, the residual pushback or the residual effect of everything we're dealing with. And maybe we're not being mindful of. So we wanted to kind of hand it over to an expert and, um, and let her kind of speak some words of wisdom into us. 
Yep. So this is Terry Watson on a psychologist. She's a psychologist on how to help people cope with isolation. This is on the Ed Stetzer Leadership Podcast. Let's listen to about seven minutes of this. Many people experience this kind of challenge as also an opportunity for growth. Um, And that can certainly be true in terms of our physical habits and disciplines, as well as our spiritual habits and disciplines. And so it's interesting, some of the people I've spoken with over the last 48 hours have met a self-quarantine or self-isolation with a sense of relief of here's an opportunity to maybe bring back some work-life balance, some greater opportunities for contemplative prayer, to engage in exercise routine and healthy eating. And I think it's wonderful uh, to think of it as an opportunity to put some of those um, self-disciplines in place. Yeah, I really wanted to think that. I've almost wanted to say that, but I've been hesitant. I didn't know if that was, isn't a big part of your job as a psychologist just to tell the rest of us, no, that's normal. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I didn't know that until just now. So I'm, people are watching this, you know, the leadership in their coronavirus crisis is Ed Stetzer processing things through. But for me, um, you know, everything's just canceled. You know, I'm, I'm a frequent traveler. I'm kind of a motivational speaker who lives in a van down by the river. And now I'm, you know, I, I'm actually finding time to exercise. I'm finding time. And really, I'm trying to engage more in, more in spiritual disciplines, not that I wasn't before. Uh, and so you're finding people who, and it's okay to say, hey, this, there, this could be a positive life shift in some aspects of our lives, a lot of health issues, a lot of people, a lot of, we're talking a lot of global suffering, but right now I'm feeling more refreshed in the Lord. And I know I've got to steal myself for what's to come, but that's, tell me more about how people might take this moment to grow in their own lives and their own development, their own well-being. Absolutely. I think it can be an opportunity to bring back some balance. Um, and, and I have a feeling that it's going to feel great for the first few days. And then after three or four days of this, it's going to become more and more of a challenge to maintain some of those healthy routines. And so I do think uh, it is good to, you know, to develop some routines and habits of healthy living that we can do during a time of quarantine, but also make sure we're finding ways for social support, connection to others. Um, one of the practices I've um, appreciated during this time, for example, is to do the daily lectionary readings and just a time of prayer and scripture reading where I'm connected to others around the world that are also engaging in uh similar readings and prayers as a way to stay connected uh, at the same time um, I'm staying in my home and not um, not out in a group of people. Dr. Watson, um, Ed was sharing about his, uh, uh, you know, his approach to this. And actually, Ed, you look fantastic, by the way. So I should I should say that. Um, but a lot of our listeners are high capacity leaders, and um, they just have to go, go, go. And they're leading organizations right now. A lot of them are leading their churches through a lot of organizational change, um, and they're paying attention to the other. Uh, they're having to make decisions. Do I close? Do I uh, re-strategize? Um, for high capacity leaders, what what a, can you talk? Can you speak to the uniqueness of how they need to really take into consideration? Um, 
you know, taking care of themselves during this time for the benefit of the mission, the benefit of uh, the organization that they lead. Because I could see that you could you can come out of this with a healthy organization, but be an unhealthy leader. So that those are some of my thoughts. But can you speak into that? Absolutely. I was thinking about that a lot yesterday when I was composing an email to the uh, the other faculty and staff in the School of Psychology and just encouraging them to think about finding a measure of peace and calm and confidence in Jesus as Redeemer and Sustainer and needing to find that um, peace for our own souls before we can provide that for the others for others around us. And so I think it really, as you said, is incumbent upon leaders to show the way to do that and to prioritize practices that bring that sense of deep connection with Jesus um, through every step of this health crisis. And then I think the other challenge before us is as leaders figuring out how to be present and engaged with others through technology. Um, some are better at that than others. And I feel like I have so much to learn in that area. As a psychologist, I'm so dependent on that face-to-face presence with people to be an eff- effective clinician. And now that I'm transitioning for the next two weeks to having those engagements um, through video conference formats that are still face-to-face, how can I be present with people? How do I pray with people in that way? And how can we really experience God's presence in a different format, I think, is part of the growing edge for all of us that this health mm-hmm. crisis brings as an opportunity. Yeah, that, that's something really difficult for a lot of us to to turn off the decision maker inside of us, to turn off the organizational leader inside of us. But I think for the success and the future of our organizations, I mean, that's a big part where maybe is it taking a little bit of time out of the day? Is it taking several moments in the day to do that? I mean, any practical advice in terms of how you might be able to implement that, um, you know, minute by minute, hour by hour? Yeah, I think that it is good to start the day um, in a place of peace and connection with God. And that, um, as I mentioned earlier, for me, I find that um, an ongoing prayer um, of seeking God's presence Um, connecting it with breathing reminds me through the day when I start feeling tense and anxious that God is my refuge. And so I think finding some ongoing simple practices that we can turn to throughout the day, as well as having that longer time in the morning, and then maybe evening, a time of reflection, uh, some interventions from psychology encourage us to review our days and think about moments where we felt a sense of gratitude and appreciation as a Christian. Um, I integrate that with an examine prayer of reflecting on the day um, of moments of gratitude to God. And I think that's a way of reflecting on what went well, what might we need to improve on for the next day. Hopefully you found that helpful because it's just good to hear from a professional because a lot of us, most all of us are probably going to go through feelings of isolation, of feeling cooped up. And for some of us, that really is difficult. And so this word by Dr. Watson on how to help people cope with isolation, I think is going to be increasingly important because being cut off from friends and family, physical contact with them. Uh, And then especially some of the really vulnerable, literally not having contact with anybody. uh, I think this is going to be 
one of the residual effects of the pandemic, of the virus that all of us are going to have to deal with, even if we don't end up having to deal with sickness ourselves. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's anything that you would add to that. Like you're a, you're a pretty extroverted person, right? I imagine all of this is affecting you in a different way. Like what would you as a, as a people person, what would you add or, or what would you charge people with in, you know, kind of coping with this new reality? Yeah, you know, for me, uh, I do feel like I'm getting my fill from being with my family, Yeah. Um, but making sure you're having fun and just not watching the news all the time. But I would also say, especially if you're not with family or anything like that, I would say, keep up with people online. This is where social media is good, right? Yeah. Don't just read the stories, but maybe have some Zoom talks, have some Facebook uh, chats. Uh, send pictures back, whatever else it might be. I even read on Netflix, you can watch movies together in a hangout without being together. That's right. Doing, doing stuff like that, I think will be really helpful. I totally agree, man. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about something called quarantine shaming and how to navigate these radical new social norms. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160 Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Excited to have you join us today. Thankful to have you join us. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That is the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, find us online at 1160hope.com. There you can find our show, older shows of ours. Also, other shows that are here on AM 1160. You can find them on uh, 1160hope.com as well. And as always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we are grateful to know who is out there listening, and we are thankful for you. Uh, Going to talk about this new idea of, uh, of uh, quarantine shaming. Uh, but before we do that, why don't you talk to us about Thrivent? Why don't I, Brian? So Thrivent Financial, I've been a Thrivent member for years. How long have I been a Thrivent Financial? I think like seven years now, eight years. Is that true? My goodness. Either way, it's a- I've only, uh, known, I've only known you for like a year, year and a half, so I've known yeah, you. Yeah, that's true. For as, for at least as long as I've known Brian. Uh, <laughs> Multiple, multiples of it. <laughs> it's a Fortune 500 not-for-profit serving members for over a century, and- um, I imagine a lot of people are in pretty tense financial times right now even. So this is where I think organizations like Thrivent are so necessary and so helpful. And if you're listening and if you ever wanted to be your own boss or you have kind of an entrepreneurial drive or you want to come alongside people in their wise with money journey, uh, this might be a really great opportunity for you to consider a career change. You can learn more at Thrivent.com slash careers or you can just call 630 598 2128. And uh, I personally cannot recommend enough that you at least check it out and see if it might not be a good fit for you. Uh, let's go into this idea of quarantine shaming. So let me read from this article. Uh, and then I would love to know what you think about this quarantine shaming, uh, calling out those not abiding by social distancing rules. So that's what we're talking about. Calling out those not abiding by social distancing rules is part of a new and startling reality, this author writes, for Americans who must navigate a world of rapidly evolving social norms in the age of COVID-19. As schools close and shelter-in-place orders sweep across the U.S., the divide between those who are stringently practicing self-isolation and those who are still trying to go about some semblance of a normal life has never been more clear. Complicating matters? What was socially acceptable 
even 48 hours ago, may now be taboo as government officials race to contain the virus with ever-expanding circles of social isolation. The time matrix seems to be shifting. I've never known several days to go by so slowly and watching the collective conscience move more and more in one direction. Day by day, said Paula Flasker, who lost her bartending job when California's Mammoth Mountain Ski Resort closed last week. Hmm. Uh, For those who must go to work, the divide is widening too. And they go into a story of a guy at a warehouse in Chicago uh, and some of the pushback uh, he got. Uh, So let me stop there before we go on. This idea of whether it be online or other spots of of shaming people and calling out people not abiding by what uh, the social distancing norms and rules or suggestions are right now. Uh, Do you see that happening? That's my first question for you. And secondly, uh, could you make an argument that that's a good thing? Uh, well, that feels like a trap. Um, <laughs> weren't you just in the first hour making some comments about the spring breakers on the beach? Yep. Was that uh, you I'm, or was that a different, a different show host that I'm thinking of? That was me. I'm, I, I want to hear from you if you've seen this, but I may, I may argue here in a minute that this is not a bad thing. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, is shaming the right approach ever, ever, ever? Uh, yeah, I think here first I want to know are you seeing this? Let me oh, think yeah, about for the answer sure. to that. 100%. Question. Where yeah. have you seen it? Facebook, what kinds of things are people saying? Is it pretty mean or is it just what are you doing? What what are you seeing? Uh yeah, it ranges from like funny to sarcastic to mean, you know. There's a lot of uh, a lot of memes uh floating around that I've seen in particular. Um but yeah, I I I've, I've certainly seen it show up in a number of different forms. It it is interesting the tack that some people, you know, some of it's like, Hey, just can you please abide? Others get like really religious or really political or really philosophical. So yeah, I I guess that doesn't really answer your question. I've seen it, you know, played out in a number of different ways. Yeah. Maybe when you ask me the question is shaming the right thing, maybe shaming is not the right thing, but I do think uh, that this is in my opinion of such great importance uh, societally, like it's, this is like, um, you and me staying in our houses might be for the good of our families, but it also might be the, for the good of somebody else's families. And there has to be a collective nature to what we're doing, or it won't matter as much as it can. And so when I see, you know, you know, we talked about the spring breakers, like that one to me is just, um, that is hubris and a lack of caring to the nth degree when you start reading those. Um, but even, man, I struggle right now when I hear of people who are like, oh, yeah, no, I'm letting my kids have play dates every day. And you're like, yeah, yeah. really? Like, I do think there's something to be said culturally. And maybe it's got to be done in community. Maybe just shaming somebody online is not the way to do it. But I do think there has to be a a more than we've ever had in the history of our culture. Cause we like to be individualistic, right? We like to be like, you do you, I do me. If we take that tact right now, uh, people are going to die possibly. Yeah. yeah. And so it feels like there needs to be a collective, um, voice that says, no, we are going to correct you when we think what you're doing is putting other people in danger. For me, it's not about putting yourself in danger. It's about putting other people 
in danger. Like, because again, chances are that most of us are going to be okay from this, but it doesn't mean that because of that, we should go about our day flippantly going, ah, too bad for the people that this is going to affect. And so uh, maybe shaming's not the right word. I do think that uh, more than ever societally, uh, we have a responsibility. Maybe I'll just use the phrase to call one another out, to call us to task. Yeah. It says, hey, I'm not sure what you're doing is a good idea. Uh, I get that that can get awkward and it's probably easier, more easily done on Facebook where we can just throw it out at people. Yeah. Uh, but I do think there's something to be said about, um, especially within community, telling people uh, when they're endangering or not being helpful in something this grand and this dire. Well, and I think what you're really getting at, it's not just about compliance, although compliance will take it. I mean, that's, you know, part of it. What you're really trying to do is to help people develop a deeper empathy, right? To see beyond their situation. And that's part of what we saw with the spring breakers. It's part of even that prayer that we prayed uh, yesterday about, Hey, would you, would you, would God, would you help uh, young people to see their part in this, to take this more seriously than maybe they're inclined to take it. Um, That is hard to do because if, you know, and the thing that we hear a lot is, well, I, I feel fine. I don't, I'm not at risk and I don't, uh, I'm not even going to hang around elderly people or people with issues or so to them, it like they're justified to continue business as usual. And I think empathy says differently what our ego tends to want to say. And that is, Hey, I'd love to keep behaving uh, like I normally would, but for the sake of the other, and even even if it's a nameless, faceless other, it's not a specific person. Um, I'm going to put my priorities, my wants, on the back burner in service to the greater good, the common good, yes. if you will. I the think common like, good. If you I will. just I just think that is such a a needed posture, and it's not about you know somebody forcing you to come. Although it could eventually come to that, but um, helping people develop not just the what, but also the why. Like why yeah. this is important for all of us to do this. Um, I think is a really important. Uh, timely task, but it's one that takes, uh, you know, willingness on both sides. And I think where this is going to get interesting around here is, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of pointing the finger at all the people in their twenties and this and that, but we are a week away uh, from all of the schools locally having spring break. Uh, Mm. And myself included, all of us, many people have made travel plans and it's going to get real interesting on social media and in other places with the, I would think the majority of people canceling it, but not a hundred percent of the people. Right. Uh, unless they're told they have to, right. right. That's, that's where this could change. I think this is going to get interesting. Watch next week, man, when spring break is coming on. Um, it's going to get it. It'll uh, some of this, I think quarantine shaming is going to get a lot higher around here. <laughs> well, and, and we will be here to talk about it. We will be here for it. <laughs> uh, well, coming up next, we are going to end the show the same way we always do with some hopeful laughter. We're going to talk interweb insanities. That's coming up next year on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent, where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of peaked with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me who was pastoring a church in Bartlett. And they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop 
uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality was just their heart to give back to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously to be wise with money and live generously and that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them and so if you're interested in learning more I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today here's some weird stuff we found on the internet here's some more weird stuff we found on the web Well, that music can only mean one thing. It is time for Interweb Insanity. If you've not been a part of our show in the past, what this is is the way we end the show every day. Uh, Crazy stories found from the internet, on the internet, by our producers, either John or Keith. And uh, we have not heard these in advance. And so we are going to read these and be as surprised. Uh, as you are, Ian, why don't you start us with one out of New Mexico? All right. New Mexico man says he unknowingly stole TVs while drunk. That <laughs> seems likely. A New Mexico man is facing charges after he told police he unknowingly stole two televisions while drunk. I love when the second, yep. the first sentence is exactly the headline. Yep. Um, the Gallup Independent reports Sage uh, Aaron Cummins was arrested last week shortly following his arrival to the victim's apartment to return the TVs. According to Gallup Police, an officer was investigating a burglary report when Cummins approached him and admitted he had stolen the televisions from the victim's home. Cummins said, or he told police, he was very intoxicated when he entered the residence. The police report says uh, Cummins said he only remembered knocking on the door, and when it was apparent that no one was home, he entered the residence. Cummins said he did not remember what happened after that. Maybe I did it accidentally on purpose. You mean subconsciously? No, I was definitely awake the whole time. You know, I'm starting to learn from these stories that I don't think very intoxicated is a defense that the uh, that the courts probably take very well to. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that helped this case at all. No. Next one, NASA. NASA fixes stuck insight Mars lander by, quote, telling it to hit itself with the shovel. <laughs> oh, gosh. The, the insight lander, which is currently on Mars, faced unexpected problems when its 15-inch digging probe became stuck in the soil. After a few failed attempts, the lander was freed thanks to NASA encouraging it to hit itself with the jackhammer-like shovel. NASA revealed the news on Twitter, writing, A bit of good news from Mars. Our new approach of using the robotic arm to push the mole appears to be working. Popular science deemed the rescue operation as risky as it could have damaged the tether, which provides power and communication from the lander that is attached to the back uh, back part of the mole. Give me that shovel! Come here! Okay, so this next one, uh, I've never seen this. It says Kansas question mark. And uh, I think we're going to find out why in a second. You have to say Kansas? Kansas? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 500 million year old fossilized poop reveals a nightmarish predatory sea worm. That's the worst sentence I've read all day. Yes, it is. Uh, No, this isn't a B horror film from the 80s. But when it was, it might most likely be a cult traditional by now. When it was? I feel like it should say if it was. Yeah, <laughs> if it was, makes more sense. Uh, what a primordial sea worm ate a whole lot of other, hundreds of other. Oh, what is happening with this article? <laughs> Do you want to try that? What a primordial. What a primordial sea worm. sea worm ate a whole lot of hundreds of thousands of years in the past emerged in its fossilized poop. <laughs> well, yeah, you're much better at this than I am. The mutilated items of oh gosh, and other animals in the poop in form of a creature that lurked in the ocean, <laughs> ocean flooring. Floor. Lurking in its burrows and ready for prey to swim by unaware. That was what College of Kansas researcher Julian Kimmig, Kimmig 
and his crew discovered after they unearthed these burrows and fossilized feces or corpolites. Seems that one that usually flushed down the bathroom in this worm's burrow had been its bathroom. Generally is a time capsule of what ate what. <gasps> Gross. Yeah, that one was a tough read. That one had a lot of like misprints and kind of uh, weirdly shaped uh, sentences. I'm gonna. I, I'm, I feel for you on that one. I was literally just saying words, <laughs> not knowing at all how any of it was coming together at all. <laughs> that was really funny. I don't even know what I just read. That's really good. La- uh, not last one. Last one for me. Uh, Michigan, America's high five. Mm-hmm. Uh, puppy with one ear in the middle of its forehead, dubbed unicorn pup. <laughs> oh my gosh, so cute. Three-month-old Ray, which is ear spelled backwards, <laughs> uh, from Michigan, has been nicknamed unicorn pup for a reason. She has one ear, and it is right in the middle of her head. Ray required surgery for a medical condition after birth, and her one ear slowly moved to the middle of her head as she grew. Her uh, her carer, Brianna, said, the minute I saw her, I knew I wanted to raise her and be there for her, even though I knew the road to recovery wouldn't be easy. In the distance, hear her laughter. It's the last unicorn. I'm alive. Okay, this last one uh, is making me nervous. It's out of Chicago. This kicker acquisition made nearly impossible due to trending coronavirus theme. <laughs> they wrote us an article. <laughs> Both beloved and feared by the hosts, the kicker segments, or more famously dubbed Interweb Insanity, typically closes out the daily afternoon show on AM 1160 <laughs> in Chicago. Producers Keith Conrad and PJ deviously scour the internet for the world's weirdest <laughs> and most disturbing stories to feed sight unseen to host Brian and Ian. However, the random and unlikely subjects have turned to an unfortunate trend. Favoritely wacky and offbeat characters such as Florida Man and America's <laughs> High Five <laughs> have been moved aside to make light of the ravaging virus. Wow, ravaging, guys. Yes, the COVID-themed stories feature crazy and unty characters. However, drugs, alcohol, and irony are far from the causes. The viruses have unfortunately spread throughout the crazy stories that we have come to know and love as much as throughout the world. We hope this recurring theme of toilet paper riots and crazy ideas of treatment are things of the past as soon as possible, producer John expressed to himself while pining through dozens of questionable websites. (laughs) (laughs) Only time will tell when all is well and we return to our usual stories from hell. (laughs) That was really... John, Keith, whoever did that. Well well done. Was that their passive-aggressive way of saying, can we not do kickers for a while? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. That, that That might be our note. That was really funny. Oh, that ends it in a funny, uh, a funny way. We hopefully a little bit of levity for you on an otherwise serious time, but we hope you're doing well. We're going to be with you again tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. 